0: Welcome to episode 55 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability, the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Welcome, friends. I'm Eric Gall, your host Today we talk about a topic that is a little bit difficult to talk about and that is grief. And we've got a great guest that's going to help us today with this topic, Avon Heath. And I will do her bio in a couple minutes, but this topic of grief grief encompasses many things. Death, dying, divorce, uh loss of a pet, loss of job, many, many things. And in our Western culture, it's something we are terrified to talk about and we avoid it like the plague. And a lot of us are suffering in silence. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. I think it's a meaningful one. And I think that there's something in here that you'll be able to take away. Now, before I do the bio and introduce Yvonne, I just want to take a couple of moments and remind you that there is the opportunity to subscribe to Empowering Ability. Now, this work is completely funded by you, the listener, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart to those listeners that have already subscribed and are helping to fund the further development of Empowering ability, and I've got some exciting stuff coming in 2019 that I'm uh, pumped to to get out there and show you. So, I just want to take a couple minutes and explain why you might want to subscribe to Empowering Ability. So, first, you might want to just want to subscribe just because of the value that you've already gotten from listening to these podcasts, from reading the blog, uh, and the insights that you've gained through that so it might have nudged you in, in a direction or influenced you in a direction influenced your family to change your mindset change your behavior and ultimately change the trajectory of your life um, or your loved one's life so you might have already experienced that value um, that you've that you've got and really when you subscribe it's an investment in yourself because we simply the things we in be paid for are the things that we do so if you pay for a sub- subscription you're going to listen to the podcast you're going to learn and you're going to get the insights out of it you're going to read the blog so subscription in the podcast is a, a subscription or an investment in yourself and in your own learning and development Uh, Another reason that you may want to consider subscribing is, yes, this content is free and it will always remain free in the form of the podcast and the blog. There's some paid stuff coming, but it allows you to pay for the value that you feel you're receiving. So, for example, we pay for books, we pay for magazine subscriptions, and there's um, a benefit that you're getting from this content, just like a, a book or just like a magazine. And there's also an entertainment value. So uh, there is value in, in these episodes, in this podcast, and um, some of you might want to pay for that. So um, a magazine or a book might cost you 15 or $30 for one book or for one magazine, or a magazine subscription might be $15 a month. So there's... Uh, inherent value in this podcast that you might want to pay for, just like a magazine, just like a book. Um, and the third piece that you might want to subscribe is that there's a members area coming in 2019. So as a subscriber, you will be given access to this area. So anyone that subscribes before the members area launches will be given access and um, and grandfathered into that or grandmothered into that uh, members area. And uh, you will have access to that paid content uh, which will come in 2019 so again thank you to those who have subscribed already and have made big um, contributions towards running this uh, podcast and blog and the development of the what's to come in 2019 and if you can't afford to uh, subscribe then please don't Uh, You can contribute in other ways by sharing the content with someone that you think would, would value from it in your network. Okay, so on to today's episode. So today's guest is Avon Heath. And Yvonne uh, has been a registered nurse since uh, 1988, working in uh, 10 hospitals across Canada and the U.S. Um, in different areas of the hospital, so emergency, intensive care, delivery room, chemotherapy, and palliative care and hospice. So Avon has seen a lot of grief, a lot of death, and a lot of dying, and this impacted her her in a profound way. She really felt like she was called to share the message of how to reduce our society's reluctance to talk about grief, to plan and prepare for grief and know how it causes excessive excessive suffering in our life and an end of life. And Avon suffered from grief too. I asked her to share her experience with grief on the podcast. So you're going to hear that. She's really an inspirational person. She's an author. Uh, we talk about her book, Live Your Life to Death. And we talk about where you can pick that up. Uh, and she's partnered with Community Living Ontario, which is pretty cool. So we'll talk about um, that as well on the podcast. Uh, she's a TV and radio host and... She's been featured in several books, newspapers, and magazines, uh, including Zoomer and Hospital News. So, uh, excited to introduce you to Yvonne Heath. Hi, Avon. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Erica. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on today, and excited to talk about a topic that doesn't get talked about. Um, And as I was thinking about this conversation today, um, you know, just fully realizing and accepting that it's a topic that I also don't talk about and avoid. And I've been reading your book. So it would just help me to think more about the topic of death and and grieving and kind of everything around that. So I'm excited to to dive into that with you today Yvonne um but maybe before we dive into those topics how did how did this how did these topics come up for you and and why are you so invested in them
1: why on earth would I want to talk about grief death and dying yeah (laughs) everyone else avoids it as much as they can
0: exactly well
1: you know it's so funny Eric because it's like People say, why are you doing this? I wrote a book called Love Your Life to Death. I'm speaking, I blog, I have a TV show, radio show, and I share stories. And people say, why did you choose this? And I say, no, 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 I did not choose this. It chose me. (laughs) It chose me. And looking back at a 27-year nursing career, I worked in 10 different hospitals, and it was interesting to see the common thread was that truly, just like you, we don't talk about grief. We don't talk, certainly don't talk about death and dying, but we don't talk about it until it arrives, right? Until we are in a crisis, until we are facing a loss, somebody dies. And then we try to figure out how to navigate through it. And what we create for ourselves, and I did the same thing, I is excessive suffering. And grief is and an and inevitable, inevitable part of this journey, but by avoiding it, we are creating the excessive suffering piece, and so uh, as a nurse and as a person who was also ill-prepared and who also suffered, I just could no longer not do something about it, so I took a leap of faith, left my nursing career, wrote my book, and here we are, <laughs> here we are.
0: So, Yvonne, when I think about grief, I kind of have an idea of what that feeling is. But how would you define it? Like, how do I? How would someone know that they're experiencing grief?
1: Right. I truly, uh, when I say, and again, people always think that grief is just about end of life, and and of course, there is certainly grief uh, when someone dies. But I truly just simplify it, and grief. Grief occurs. Grief is whatever makes your heart ache, mm. right? Like whatever you are experiencing, it—it it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, if you're, you know, you lost your favorite pair of shoes. No, <laughs> so, I mean, hopefully you're not grieving terribly <laughs> or very, very quickly with that. But I mean, when people go through divorce, uh, there's tremendous grief in that. When you hear a diagnosis. Huge grief when you're when your baby is born and you know you've anticipated this wonderful moment and time for many months, and then they say, you know, there is a problem, there's a health issue, massive grief there and uh, being bullied, um, financial stress, job loss, not making the team that you wanted to make so badly or get into that college, it's just grief. And if we we sort of normalize that grief is a part woven throughout our journey of life. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's grief. Yeah, I'm grieving. And, um, and as a side note, understanding grief, because anger is often a very big part of grief, right? You're just, oh, I can't believe I'm going through this. You're grieving, your heart is aching. And, and sometimes it's like, heart wrenching sadness. And so you're Ang- the anger comes out to try to protect you. And the more we understand that, the more we can be present for people when they're grieving. And well, as you know, my whole um, movement is when the thing I hear the most more than anything is I hear, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And so we're, we're more comfortable avoiding people in their grief, aren't we? when people are acting out or grieving or crying or angry, we just, ooh, this is awkward, it's uncomfortable. And again, we complicate it. And I say, you know what, the magic answer, we don't need professionals all the time in grief. We need our professionals a very small percentage of the time. Most of all, when we're grieving and we what we need, even don't know what to do and they don't know what to say and it's awkward and uncomfortable, We need people to just show up. (laughs) Just show up is the magic answer. And uh, if we can do that, if we can acknowledge and allow people's feelings, if we could do simple, simple things, hug, text, email, call, sit silently.
0: Mm, Yeah. And we're so scared of conflict, Uh, um, no matter (laughs) No matter oh. what it is, we're just conflict, phobia of conflict.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Or, or to do or say the wrong thing and I'm not qualified. And, oh, what, what if they get really angry? Absolutely. And, you know, when you're, if you can just sit with someone and acknowledge and allow their feelings and and not try to fix it, that's the other thing, right? Like we are compassionate. We People are compassionate, but they want to fix it they want to minimize they want to take away your suffering and truly you can't fix grief you mm-hmm. just have to allow it and yes it's uncomfortable don't wait for it to be comfortable right and people say to me oh what if i make them cry I say well get them a tissue <laughs> well what if i cry well get yourself a tissue cry together we just need to we need to get back to allowing our humanness and and being able to say that is really hard that sounds so hard that's so sad because sometimes it just is it's just sad and and this i telling telling everyone you don't have to fix it there's the good news yes you're qualified to just show up when someone is grieving because they just need a compassionate heart and someone to listen most of the time Mm
0: -hmm.
1: most of the time that's what they need
0: yeah it's interesting when like you mentioned, you know, uh, people just not knowing what to do or not knowing what to say when a loved one is experiencing grief or a friend or someone in their life. And, um, I've def- I can definitely picture myself in some of those instances in my own life. And yeah. sometimes it's, uh, I guess it takes up a bit of courage, right? If you're that you know person that's, that wants to be there, but doesn't know how, And you said, um, you know, the words like just show up, right? So you don't need to have the right words, but you don't even need to have any words at all. Right. Like even if you're just there and you give that person a hug and you embrace the silence, like that person might not need words. They just need your presence.
1: 100%. And that is another thing that we're pretty uncomfortable with is silence. Mm. Right. Like, Oh God, this is so uncomfortable. Nobody's talking. (laughs) And we just need to be okay with it because just showing up, you've said everything you need to say, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, I've had people, and it's interesting because we actually, we created these bracelets that say, hashtag, I just showed up to to remind people to show up for themselves first. And when you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, just show up. And I even had a friend who, who said her her cousin's son had ended his life. I mean, it doesn't get, it's just obviously devastating and you can't fix that. And how, what do you do? What do you say? And, and my friend just said, you know, I looked at my bracelet and I said, and cause she in her head, oh my God, I don't know what to do or say. This is awful. I said, yes, it is just show up so she said she called her cousin and yep she her heart was racing and she was really uncomfortable the people always say what should, oh should i call say yes if you're saying should i call, call just call if they don't want to talk they won't well her cousin talked to her for 20 minutes she said i barely said anything like i i just i was just on the phone and i was crying and i i don't even think i said two words and but she to, to just show up by making that call in that, that on the hardest day of that, you know, her cousin's life means the world to someone. And those are the things that help heal people's hearts. When Mm. you just show up Mm. and you know, it's hard and it's uncomfortable and, I've cried in many places and I, I'm not, I don't even apologize anymore for crying, <laughs> crying in the grocery store or something <laughs> as I'm over it. When I see somebody and I, I know that they've just been through something really difficult. I just go up to them and I say, I just want to hug you right now. Is that okay? And they say yes. And then I start to cry. And, and most time I just, if I knew the person, you know, if somebody died, I'd, just tell them what I loved about the person or liked about the person or I know this must be so hard. I just, I'm a hot mess sometimes <laughs> and, and that's okay. And I, I just tell people, just lead with your heart and just show up. Just, just mm-hmm. make it easy on yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to, um, I guess talk about some of the things in your book as well. But I think you bring um, an interesting perspective to the topic of grief, dying and death for this podcast audience, because there's many carers or people that provide support that listen to this um, podcast as well as as families. Right. And, and this is something that everybody experiences, but maybe even carers more so um, because of just the type of of work Um would you be able to maybe just share a little bit more around a little bit more around your experiences as a carer and how you were experiencing grief?
1: Oh, I was like everybody else. I avoided it and avoided thinking about it or and I, I worked in chemotherapy for 15 years. So I certainly uh I saw a lot of tremendous grief. Uh multifaceted grief, actually. And also, of course, working in the emergency room and um, intensive care. And actually my first, my very first job was at a facility for those with physical and developmental disabilities. You know, when inclusion wasn't a thing, everybody was over here. And um, I realized that I just absolutely loved everyone there. And and uh, I became so attached to people. And then as I continued on in my nursing career, I continued to become very attached to people. And when they died, I suffered tremendously. And one of the things I would do as many, we don't want to feel our feelings, right? Grief is hard and and navigating through it is difficult. So I was best friends with red red wine for a very long time. <laughs> you know, oh my God, I'm grieving. Get me a bath and get me some wine. Like I I didn't want to feel it, right? So as many of us do, I was always very busy or had a couple glasses of wine and just sort of avoided it. And but I started to step back and say, wow, we really don't know what to do with grief. And and I asked fellow healthcare professionals, I asked, social workers and doctors and nurses. And I would say, are we well prepared personally and professionally for grief, death and dying? And they would all say, oh, no, God, we're horrible at it. And I thought, well, who's teaching community, right? Like who is teaching communities how to navigate through grief? And nobody had an answer for me. (laughs) No one had an answer for me. So I continued to suffer excessively myself as patients I love died. And I just felt so heavy. And as I had grief in my own life, and I was also being a nurse and, and trying to support people through grief. So, um, I didn't do a great job. I suffered, I did a great job as a nurse, I believe, but as far as having my own coping skills and strategies, I just, I did, I suffered a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not very well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Didn't cope very well. Right. And so lots of baths and, and red wine. (laughs) <laughs> but at some point, obviously, something yes. changed. So.
1: Yeah, I just they're being really busy, just just avoiding
0: it. Mm-hmm. So something changed, though, right? I mean, now you're an author, a speaker, you know, hosting um, or, you know, you got on Rogers TV talking about grief. So what what changed?
1: Well, I th- I started to really as I, I asked fellow co-workers, um, you know, are are we well prepared for grief, death, and dying? And they said no. And then I would witness uh, situations where there would be two people, say two people with the same diagnosis of cancer, and it was terminal. And one family was, you know, acknowledging and allowing all feelings, and and laughing and crying and being open and and being truthful with themselves and each other about what was happening and how that person died more peacefully and the family navigated through their grief with, with certainly still grieving, but they were able to get through and find happiness again. And then other families that would, you know, just be angry and bitter and demanding more treatments and, and there weren't conversations being had. There was no eye contact. And I, I could just see and feel the the suffering was palpable and I felt it more myself. And I said, wow, how can we have, you know, here's the same scenario with very different uh, journeys. I want to see more of these journeys. And then one by one, there was one situation after another that I could just no longer ignore that inner voice that, that was saying we need to do something different. Um, and one of the final straws was when somebody who was from a nursing home, who was, you know, ready for end of life, who had like tremendous physical discomfort. And, and we were going to give them a blood transfusion to, you know, try to keep them going because sometimes doctors just think we have to treat people to death. And this woman was 105 years old. (laughs) And I just thought, you know, when is it okay to allow a natural death if it's not okay at 105? So I had to do something.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest takeaways I've had from your book, Love Your Life to Death, so far, Yvonne. the, The contrast between quality of life versus quantity of life. Yes. Can you talk maybe, you started to talk about it with a story of the 105 year old woman going through a blood transfusion, but can you talk a little bit more to that? Maybe elaborate a little bit more on what quality of life versus quantity of life means. And uh, maybe there's another example that you could provide.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the truth of the matter is um, quality of life uh, is what is enough acceptable quality of life for one person uh, is very different than it would be for another person. And um, uh, the problem is with our medical technology, which is wonderful in so many ways. I mean, we are able to, to get through, navigate through many diseases that would have killed someone, you know, years ago, or someone would have died very young with that disease. And we can have, better quality in, in many situations, but the problem becomes when people are ill, that they have a life limiting disease or a chronic disease. And we feel like, well, no, we have to keep treating people because they're only this age, right? We feel like the only bar to measure is, well, they're too young to face end of life. Even even when they have all kinds of medical issues, We there's always a treatment that we can do. But the question that we have to ask sometimes is, should we? And I've seen more examples, sadly, than I can count where, you know, somebody has a, a cancer diagnosis, and they are in their 40s or 50s, and the doctors continue to order chemotherapy. So they feel like, okay, well, this must be working, it must be worth it. But they are short of breath. They're not able to do anything that made their life worth living for them, right? That is different for everyone. Some people would be content with a quality of life where they can sit in a chair, they can look out the window, you know, they've worked hard their whole lives and and for them to just be able to have grandchildren around or dogs and cats around is enough, but that's not enough for everyone everyone right and and for someone else if they can't drive their car and go visit places and go hiking that isn't enough uh for them if they're not able to do those things that fulfill them so when we talk about quality of life versus quantity quantity of life Wouldn't it be wonderful to have those conversations before we are determining if we should continue treatment, before we decide if chemotherapy is the right thing? Because, again, that should be a personal decision, shouldn't it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It Yeah, it shouldn't be three children trying to determine, hey, what would mom want? Well, it would be great if we had those conversations about what is meaningful for her. It's not the same. That would be meaningful for me. And uh, in, in our society, we definitely are not comfortable allowing people to die at any age. And, and we are not comfortable having these conversations. And when I say to people, that's why we need to talk about it long before we are facing it. And, you know, people say, well, I don't want to talk about it when things are going well in my life. And I certainly understand that. But I promise you the time to start these conversations is not in a crisis is not when you're facing a diagnosis or life and death decisions' that's already hard enough, isn't it?
0: yeah, and i, I think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of wisdom in that ofvon because if you're you're much we're much better at making decisions when we're coming from a logical rational place, so if we're in good health and we're thinking about oh, what if this situation happened, right? Well, what if I got cancer and I had, you know, the option of going through several rounds of chemotherapy and that's going to maybe give me two years to live or, you know, uh, and that's going to beat the crap out of me (laughs) or I have six months or I have six months of, you know, living life more or less, status quo and doing the things that I, that I want to do, right? Like what to think yeah. about that in advance and say, you know what, choose one or the other. And then you don't have to make like, the decisions already made um, and That's you're doing it. it from a logical place rather than a emotional fear-based place.
1: Absolutely. And when you think about, like I said, I have, there are, everybody knows countless stories of families fractured beyond repair because they are trying to make these decisions in a crisis, you know when when someone's I don't know been in an accident or, or something has happened and so the person is not able to speak and and everyone's saying we should be doing this, no, we shouldn't be doing this and or we should be doing that and um, there's just so much turmoil. we've actually at times when people should be supporting each other around uh, an, a loved one who is, inevitably facing end of life we've had to call security at the hospital because people are yelling and screaming and throwing punches isn't that so incredibly sad <laughs> at a time when you should be supporting each other right you're you're being hauled out of the hospital i mean it's i've seen these situations over and over again and and i've spoken to people years later who said i haven't spoken to my sister since that day now sadly, these things, many of them are avoidable. So yes, we need to normalize. We need to normalize having these conversations. We just need to not see it as, oh, this, I don't want to talk about this. It's so, you know, oh, it's terrible. I don't want to think about it. Let's just normalize. You become an adult and you do an end of life plan. And are you an organ donor? like let's just and then throughout your life you just update it every year, tax time check your end of life plan is everything in order are my finances my power of attorney for health or estate and oh something's changed let me update wouldn't it be wonderful if we all did that imagine the suffering that we could alleviate
0: for sure <laughs> truly yeah. and and, mm-hmm. and you mentioned this to me previously is that we live in a death phobic society. So we're we're scared of it and we don't want to talk about it. Um, And just, I guess a quick public service announcement. Uh, You're, you're exactly right on getting your estate and whatnot in line. Right. So I think the stats are something like half one, uh, one half of people don't have a will. Um, Right. So that's leaving quite uh, uh, I mean, that's just setting your family up for, um, frustration, yeah, frustration and, or or worse upon your passing.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. And when you say half have done a will, I have spoken to more people than I can count that maybe they have a will, but it was written in 1972 Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it hasn't been updated. So, uh, yeah, that is, that is another thing that fractures families beyond repair. And actually it's, I love, like, love your life to death As on my website. I have resources and I, I just connected with uh, this incredible couple that created this life goes on roadmap, helping people to navigate through all, to get all of their financial and personal um, uh, papers in order. And again, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our fam- ourselves and our families because let's be honest, it's the elephant in the room. You know, you know, it, you know that you should do it and it mm-hmm. kind of nags at you in the back somewhere here. Mm-hmm. So let's just get it done. Yeah. <laughs> just, and, and just get it done and just normalize. Like I said, tax time, let's just update and, and check in. And, you know, it's also a good way to remind yourself it's very sad to live uh, in fear of dying when it just really is the end of this journey. I mean, we are not meant to live forever. Can you imagine? Like, oh, Eric, how old are you? Oh, I'm 399. I mean, we're, we're not meant to live forever. We're meant to live our lives as fully as possible and, you know, just pass the baton over to the next generation. And that's just, part of this journey and again to diffuse the fear to have conversations of course we're fearful of things we don't talk about let's talk about it what are you afraid of what what is your greatest fear let's just get it out there
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting i like you mentioned we're not meant to live to 399 but uh, with the way technology is going, <laughs> there might be possibilities that our oh. consciousness does live that long, which is kind of interesting to to talk about. We don't need to dive into that in this conversation, but um, I don't know. It's right. things like that that are a bit mind blowing to me.
1: Well, certainly that's a whole other can of worms, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, yes.
0: So grief is, as you very simply and eloquently put, whatever makes your heartache, and you've talked through and shared with us um, some approaches. So to talk about it, right? So to talk about it before it happens, to plan for it, um, to just show up, right? So just to to be yes. there and you don't need to have the right words, just, just show up, just be present. Um, what other... Um, insights wisdom guidance Yvonne do you have around grief
1: oh Eric I like we don't have enough time for me to share all my wisdom. <laughs> are
0: there are there any any key maybe, maybe a few key ones that you want to share?
1: So um, in my 27 years of nursing and the last four years of interviewing hundreds of people, I actually came up with seven takeaways that I feel are imperative uh, to navigate through life, grief and end of life so we can live life to the fullest learn to grieve and support others and have the talk about end of life long before it arrives and diffuse the fear. And actually as a side note, if anyone fo- what chooses to follow my weekly blog, I have a sheet that says how they, they'll receive a sheet that says how to just show up. Mm-hmm. And also the seven takeaways with a little brief description, but I'm happy to share the seven takeaways just briefly right now, if you'd like.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: Okay, perfect. So, yes, this is there's so much wisdom in here, but I'll just just briefly go over and Of course, takeaway number one is the hardest one for us to accept, but the best time to talk about plan and prepare for grief is when we are young and healthy, and if we haven't done that, the next best time is now and as a again, a side note, it is each and every one of our responsibility to plan our life and our end of life. And it's that simple, so let's stop complicating it. You know, end of life is something we will all face and planning well for it is the greatest gift you can give yourself and your family. So let's just let's just normalize that and do it for ourselves, our families and everyone, right? For sure. Yes, okay, so the next ones are easier, I promise. Takeaway number two, that it takes a village takes a village to support the ill the caregiver the dying the bereaved and each other we really need to get back to that true sense of community where we know how to be present for each other and and realize once again that we don't always need a professional right when when someone has a, a life-limiting illness or a disability even or as I, I had mentioned to you, I just spoke at the Huntington's conference, and you know, with Huntington's disease, there's there are physical and um, uh, developmental disabilities or that go or their impairments for years and years. You know, we don't always need a professional; we need our our neighbors, our families, our friends, our communities, our coworkers to be a part of that journey. And I think it's just time for people to just. Or open up their eyes a little more about what's what's going on in your neighborhood what's mm-hmm. going on in your community because the other truth with that is many of us have family and friends but maybe our family lives far away you know what is there a little a little old lady down the road that's just completely by herself in isolation maybe a nice cup of tea would be something that would just make her day yeah. so just to be a little bit more aware of what's going on in your village
0: yeah. Just quick, before we go to the next one, Yvonne, just to get yeah. your thoughts on something. So in the, for people with a disability or for if you have um, a sibling with a disability or if you're a parent and you have a son or a daughter with a disability, I've heard many people describe that as being an isolating experience or a lonely experience. So for, uh, have you had people that have come to you that have said, well, I don't have a village or I don't have anybody to, to go to. Um, and what would your response be to them?
1: Oh, I just love that one so much because, um, you know what, I'll address that with takeaway number four and make sure that I expand on it.
0: Okay. Sounds good.
1: All right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a really important point. And I'm glad you said that. So I'll just go on to takeaway number three and then I'll get to four and we'll talk about that. Okay.
0: Sounds good.
1: Okay. So takeaway number three, and this is what I always say to people when I'm sharing the takeaways this is the one to remember no matter what. If you don't remember anything else, I say, because when someone is grieving, in crisis, suffered a loss, even just having a bad day, the magic answer is just show up. Takeaway number three is just show up. Just be present. I promise you, you can make a difference with the smallest act of kindness. Mm -hmm. promise you, just lead with your heart and just show up. And takeaway number four is to be empowered, resilient, and compassionate. Show up for yourself first. If you want to be able to be a part of that village, if you want to be able to just show up for others, show up for yourself first. And there's, there's so much I could say about this. Number one, we, we've really become a society again where we kind of have a get, we, we feel like we have a badge of honor for being stressed and being busy and doing it all ourselves and uh, being independent and saying, oh, that's okay, I don't need help. And the truth is, first of all, if you are not a great self-care giver, you are actually being selfish. And I really get people riled up with that. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm the most giving person in the world. What do you mean? Well, if you are not a great self-caregiver, you are not giving the best version of yourself to others. Your greatest gift to the world is the very best version of yourself. And if you are not a great self-caregiver, eventually you will break down mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Ask me how I know. (laughs) I can't count the stories I've seen in 30 years of nursing. And, you know, there again, so many people are in silos of isolation and particularly caregivers. There, there's just there's so many caregivers out there that are trying to do it on their own. And you know, they don't feel like they have people they can rely on. And the truth is, I believe that, first of all, we are we don't feel like we should be reaching out to people. Sometimes I feel like, well, you know, I, I shouldn't ask. And I do believe that there are many people out there that wouldn't mind helping if we were just brave enough to ask. And sometimes, and that's why I say it's, it's so important to get to know your neighbors or to, to be able to reach out to your neighbors because if you are a caregiver and you know maybe going for a walk every day for 30 minutes would make such a difference for you, but you don't have a relative or a friend that you can just count on. Well, maybe you could find someone from the, a volunteer from, a, I don't know, hospice or the seniors or even the high school. Every high school student has to do 40 hours of volunteer work. You know, what if you could find a very reliable, respectful teenager who could sit with your loved one so you could go for that 30-minute walk, or maybe they could be someone who helps you with the daily activities, the things that need to get done around the house. That's what I feel like. Let's use those students. (laughs) You know, I think that or church groups are and just saying, I am not doing well here i need some help i remember one lady who who was taking care of her husband with huntingtons and she said you know i just had to advocate for myself and say nope this is not enough help i need more and it took some doing but i think sometimes we do need to advocate for ourselves because we have value and we matter too and and so i think that is a really critical piece do you agree with that eric
0: yeah for sure and i i think kind of just circling back to the question that i was asking earlier around um disability being a lonely or isolating experience is it doesn't have to be right i, I think that's what you're you're sharing is like you know make a relationship with your neighbor make a phone call Absolutely. to a, a family member like there's i guess don't give away our power right like there's things that we can do um to make that connection And it doesn't have to be somebody reaching out to us, even though maybe we wish it was somebody reaching out to us. Wouldn't
1: that be wonderful? Yeah, (laughs) That would be great. And um, yeah, and you know, that actually, that just reminds me of a story that I heard. I was doing a uh, presentation and uh, when we were talking about all of these takeaways and this one staff person raised her hand and she said, well, you know, when my mom was in the hospital and she was really ill and my brother and his, uh, I asked for, or I did need help. Well, yeah, sure. That was really helpful. My brother and his, his children arrived at my house. Well, great. Then I had to make meals for everybody and they still didn't help with mom. So I had to do that, that, and that, and I had to do all these things. And I just said, oh, no, 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 no. I am going to stop you right there. What do you mean you can, you made meals for everybody and you went to visit your mom every day and you did all that? I'm sorry I'm a little tough love here but you made that decision because if that happened in my house and they came all arrived I say okay so who's taking what shift to go visit mom and I'm not making any meals so who's going to be doing the cooking and who's doing the groceries and uh yeah I won't be making any meals right now with everything else going on so if you're not cooking, it's takeaway, I guess, or takeout, I guess. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why do we feel like we have to do everything? Right. Like, I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> There's yeah. no chance. Right.
0: right. Yeah. And I think, so, well, so, it's interesting. There's making a connection to that story. And I'm not trying to pretend to be a psychologist here, but, um, you know, I think in a situation like that, just, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to make myself busy. So I don't have to deal with the realities of what's actually happening. Right. So.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a hero because I'm doing all this. Look at me. I'm so busy and stressed and I'm taking care of everything. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not doing that to myself. I would not. Yeah. There's a, there's a big meal at my house. It's potluck and everyone help with the dishes, please. And thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Children included. Yeah. So, so we need to, we need to reach out we have value and we matter and our self being a great self caregiver is you're being a great example to others. And then, you know, then you're, you're, you're preventing burnout much greater when you keep checking in with yourself and you take good care of yourself, right? So th- it's imperative, especially if you're a caregiver, it is imperative. So reach out there somewhere. Don't, don't be the hero. I mean, obviously I know easier said than done. Yes, most of what I talk about is, but it is possible. It is possible. And uh, actually, that's a good lead in for takeaway number five, because uh, that is structure your life in such a way that you are self reliant. And so are the people surrounding you. So there and again, when you know, there's dishes that need to be done and bathrooms that need to be cleaned and and, uh, groceries. How about we ask everybody to pitch in, and everybody knows how to do these things, and and everybody is self reliant. And one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest things that I always ask people is: we've all known the couple that have been married for fifty years, and the wife either becomes ill or she dies, and the husband's never made a sandwich, hmm. never made a sandwich in his entire life. So now not only is he grieving well, he's hungry. Now he has to figure out where the bread is. Um, or the same couple and the husband becomes ill or he dies and the wife's never paid a bill. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. There's another way that we compound our suffering by people depending on us and, and we don't know how to do each other's jobs. So it's much more, it's a much greater gift to give, help people have the gift of self reliance, then feel like you have tremendous value because everyone depends on you, right? Mm. Oh, this family would fall apart without mom. Well, you know, don't put yourself in that position, actually. Create self reliance so that if you're ill, if you're away, if you have to get your gallbladder out, for heaven's sakes, I mean, things happen, life is unpredictable. Prepare for anything. So structure your life in such a way that everyone can pitch in, can help, and, and the, the ship sails without you, whether you're having a nap or not, right?
0: Yeah. So I don't know the exact stats on this, but I'm going to take a stab at it. Um, yeah. Of the parents listening to this podcast that have a son or a daughter with a developmental disability, I'm going to say 90% of them um are probably feeling some sort of discomfort listening to you talk about this because yes. from my experience in conversations with i'd say at least a hundred probably a couple hundred parents that have sons or daughters with disabilities is yeah. that you know there's this sense that no one can do it as well as I can. And That's right. maybe it's not said, but, um, it's shown in, in actions and there's this, um, and it's just a form of, I think, habit. And, you know, this is the way that we've always done it is for people with developmental mm-hmm. disabilities, often their parents just do absolutely everything, um, for them, even though they have yeah. a ton of capability to learn yeah. and to do those things themselves. Um, Yes. And the scope of that changes depending on medical needs and and whatnot. I understand that. But there's very low expectations put on um, people with developmental disabilities. And I'll I'll give the example of my family. So um, my mom did absolutely everything for my sister. She got her up in the morning. She made her breakfast. She made her lunch. She did her laundry. She Um, you know, helped her with her evening routine, made her dinner, cleared her dishes, like absolutely everything. So my sister would never attempt to do anything because she's learned that she didn't have to. Right. So like in positive psychology is called learned helplessness. And I've been talking about this in the last couple of podcasts. But, um, you know, now that my sister has moved in with me, she's getting up at a more regular time she's making her bed in the morning or working on making her bed every morning not perfect but working on it she's making her own breakfast she's rinsing out her own dishes that she's putting them in the dishwasher she started to do her own laundry like if if you had have told my mom that my sister would be doing these things um, six months ago she'd be like yeah there's no way right so the it's a huge huge um, problem in the disability community because parents are they're so fearful of death and dying and passing away because they see that there's all these needs or dependency needs that their sons and daughters have and well who's going to do these things and what does that look like but i I think just this point that you're sharing is create some self um reliance and you know, hold some higher expectations of those people that are depending on you, um, and oh my give, goodness, give them the opportunities to, to, um, to try be their best self. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So, so I would first say, Eric, that I certainly commend you for giving your sister the opportunity, the opportunity to be her best self. Right. and, I I I feel like I mean it's no different than having a teenager or or a child. If I did everything for my kids, they'd let me. (laughs) You know, they they don't always like volunteer to clean their bathroom and do all the things that I tell that they just they have to do. They wouldn't do it, and they would gladly have me do that. And then I would be very exhausted, and and maybe I would feel like oh I have tremendous value. They can't do things without me, but When you create, when you hold the bar, not at a level that is not attainable because that's just frustrating, but when you hold the bar for someone at a level where they can become their very best, I think that's a great gift for them. And it also takes some of the pressure off the caregiver. And that learned helplessness, we are certainly not doing anyone any favors, are we? No. no. So I think that that is... It's, it's, it's out of love. Of course, I know people, you know, do everything for their children, especially Mm -hmm. if they have more concerns, because they love them, or they're fearful. But my -hmm. question would be, what can you do to change that? For sure. (laughs) If they're completely, if you're, if they're completely dependent on you for everything, you are setting them up for failure, because you will not always be able to do everything for them. So Mm -hmm. what can you do to change that?
0: For sure, and I yes. say
1: that with a lot of love surrounding it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I know it's,
1: hard. I know it's
0: hard. Yeah, and one of the things that um, one of my mentors, Janet Cleese, helped me realize is um, for families that are in the situation that I just described is what does the role of being an adult family member look like, right? And and defining that, and what are the responsibilities of that and there's so many other things that play into it but um, I just wanted to put that out there for, for families that are listening um, and then so I've got your the seven um, takeaways open in front of me on, and the next one so find your post and uh, I'm excited for you to explain this but when you do can you also share the story of your, of your mother and, and what her post was because I really enjoyed that in your book
1: oh um. Oh, well, won't my mom be happy to hear that? <laughs> so it's funny because when I was going through the seven takeaways and I thought, you know, I want to empower people and help to create resilience. And it was, it was all just coming together, and we need to talk and we need to be the village, just show up, show up for ourselves first and be self-reliant. And I, I felt like something was missing. And so uh, my mother-in-law told me to go visit a hundred and one-year-old Minnie. And she was just this extraordinary, sharp as a tack woman. And I said, Minnie, you know, I'm, I'm trying to empower people and we're, we're scared to death of death. We don't know what to do with grief. And you've been here for more than 100 years. You must have tremendous wisdom, which at first she didn't think she did. But then she stepped back and she said, you know, we all need a post, something to hang on to that can be there for us no matter what in times of despair. And I just got all excited and I said, Oh my gosh, Minnie, that's it. That's that's the nugget I was looking for. And she said, You're excited about a post? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Oh, that's strange. I said, Yes, I am, because what I realized is here's the thing. We don't have to like it, but here's the truth: is that life is unpredictable. We need to prepare for anything and everything change is the only constant so when we are relying on people to be able to just show up for us in our times of despair they may or not may or may not be able to in that moment when we rely on our dog you know our dogs don't live forever either so we need to have something that we feel connected to that is greater than ourselves that can help us have greater meaning so for some people, their post is their religion. For others, it's a spirituality. Meditation, yoga, art, music, nature, something that you can turn to that maybe you have a grief attack five years after something happened and it's at 3 a.m. and and you you just need to feel connected to something. So for me, it's nature. And nature is to, to me, the greatest post in the world, because no matter where you are, you can find a piece of nature, a little bit of nature. And I go outside in my, I've, I've had tremendous grief in my life. Uh, you know, I, my heart has felt broken in a million pieces, and it felt like it would never, never heal again. And I just, I stay, stand there bare feet in the grass, I kind of feel like mother nature, you know, listening to the birds and the squirrels and looking at the trees and and looking at how nature continuously changes, right? And it reminds me that it connects me to something greater than myself and it reminds me like nature is changes constantly, how i feel right now in my deepest despair will also change, right? I will i will not feel this awful forever. And it's just that that reassurance that I know this also will change. And so I encourage people to find something that can be there for them anytime that they can hang, hold on to, that can be there for them no matter what. Isn't that awesome? All that from a post. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And I I believe in the book, you mentioned that your mother's post is gratitude.
1: She yes, my mother has um, always said love and gratitude are the answer no matter what the question, and in any in any situation, no matter what you're in, there love is always the answer. And she is, you know, my mom has also known tremendous grief, and uh, and she is just a wonderful woman who who has taken her journey and she even created uh, she became a Reiki master and she has a, uh, her, her, or she calls or her, organization is waves of healing. She has a website because she wants to just be a light in this world. And she just says, no matter what, gratitude and love are always the answer. And that's her post. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly love that as well. Certainly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. That really resonated with me. And um, well
1: that's awesome.
0: yeah, and that kind of brings us to to the final one so I won't steal your thunder final one yeah. Run,
1: roll please. <laughs> so many people feel um, when they're facing end of life and they think, you know, oh my goodness, I better start what, what what will my legacy be? And I facetiously say, you know Joe, you've been you're 95, you've been crabby for 93 years uh, sorry, but that's your legacy. <laughs> Because your legacy isn't something that you create at your en- at the end of your life. Your legacy, you don't have to live for you know years and years. People have created legacies of five years of life, 10, 20, 50, however long we're here, because our legacy is what we create each and every day in each and every interaction are we kind to people? Are we, you know, do we random acts of kindness? And and do we feel the positive or the negative? And those are all those small, small gestures and, and acts of kindness are what literally heal the world. And what an incredible, what an incredible legacy to leave a legacy of kindness. And again, it doesn't have to be anything grand, you know, you don't have to leave your 27 year nursing career and become an author and a speaker have just be the very best version of yourself have the greatest garden or be the best kindest dog walker and love animals and it's something you create each and every day and being passionate about what you are bringing to the world so just say what will your legacy be Mm. something to think about each and every day
0: yeah i love that and I've thought a fair amount about legacy as well, but you just kind of gave me a new perspective, which I really appreciated it. And it reminded me of the quote by Maya Angelou, um, which is people may not remember exactly what you did or what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And that's right. As you were talking, it made me think of somebody giving a eulogy or saying something at a funeral. And what they're going to talk about is the things that they're remembering about you or how you made them feel, right? And, and there might be that's stories right. around that, but it's going to be around how you make them feel. And that's a responsibility that we have that we live day to day. That's not a, a one-time thing or no. um, something to do passively, but that's something to, to hold every day.
1: Well, that's yeah. And I, I just say to people, you know, will people be glad that you were that you arrived or will they be glad when you left? <laughs> right. It's like, you know, people who are just cloaked in negativity, I just try to send them love, send them love. And and everywhere that I go, I'm hoping that maybe if I if I shared a little light in in someone's dark day or I made someone laugh or I hugged them or whatever, I think, wow, that's a good day that's a good day. You know, it's just those, those little things. And the, the big thing that I want people need to understand is when you are grieving or when you are sad or when you are feeling lonely, go do something nice for someone else. It's, it's like, Medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say, I always say to people, I am a do gooder. And I said, I don't even know if it's because I'm a nice person. I just, it just makes me feel so good. <laughs>
0: I'm being selfish here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm being
1: selfish. I can still be nice to someone so I feel good about myself.
0: <laughs> um, so, with the inspiration from your mother, Yvonne, uh, I'm just super grateful um, that you're bringing this conversation out of the shadows and shining the light on it and encouraging us to talk about grief and to just show up. And um, I'm also grateful for the wisdom that you've collected and sharing your personal experiences with grief as well. And um, yeah, and and bringing this conversation um, out to the masses in the world. So thank you for for doing that work. And for you mentioned a few resources, Yvonne. So um where can our listeners go to check out those resources you mentioned your website um so that's probably a main point what what's the url for the website
1: uh it's www well i guess you don't even have to say that anymore do you love your life to death dot com and i have like i said i have i do a weekly blog and uh, with a video a vlog and sometimes it's a happy one sometimes i'm having a hard time in life. And I just share my, I unapologetically share my humanness, but uh, most importantly is when you follow, you get the seven takeaways and the how to just show up sheet. And um, there's other information. And I always say to people, please feel free to send us an email. Uh, We're learning as we go along as well. And this is Love your life to death as a community and, and we want to continue to learn from everyone. That is what I do. I learn from people's stories and uh, and we can support each other. And, you know, the, the other big piece with that is it isn't joy or joy or sorrow. It isn't happy or sad. It's all it's a roller coaster, right? It's all all interwoven. And when we take good care of each other, we can get through it with greater joy.
0: Yeah, fantastic and yeah people can also pick up the book so love your life to death Um, and you've recently formed a partnership with a organization that supports the developmental disability community so can you tell us um, where folks can go to pick up the book and while doing so also support the developmental disability community
1: Absolutely. Well, I, I we're just so excited that we created an affiliate program, and we're we're happy to do that with different organizations because we're passionate with our bracelets and other products, and with our books, we love to donate twenty five percent back to do gooder organizations or individuals help with fundraising because you know we all all organizations that do great work need fundraising. So we've just uh, partnered with Community Living Ontario. And uh, when you go to their website, uh, Community Living Ontario, I'm sure you just put that in there and it'll pop up and uh, right on the front page, you'll see my picture with my I just showed up bracelet. And yeah, when you purchase the book through there, uh, they will uh, automatically get 25%. So I'm, I'm really happy to be able to do that.
0: Perfect. Awesome. I will share all those links with uh, the show notes and the blog. So Avon, just super grateful for you coming on the podcast today and sharing your insights and wisdom that you've gained around grief and for having this conversation that we don't often have a conversation about. And hopefully it inspires more people to, to start the conversation. So thank you so much.
1: Well, Eric, I am super grateful for you sharing this message and, uh, and for all that you do.
0: So a big, big thank you to Vaughn Heath for joining us on the podcast today. It was a real pleasure having this conversation with her um, around a, a topic of grief, which we just simply don't talk about. So I want you to think about one action, one small action that you're going to take moving forward. From what you've just learned on the topic of grief. Now, Avon provided us the seven takeaways. So, it could be one of those seven takeaways that Avon shared with us, which, you know, for me, it was around thinking about estate planning and my will and um, really that structure of my life right and and what am i leaving uh people and how am i making that easy for them so i'm revisiting my will so for you it could be something similar around your estate plan it could be having a conversation with your loved ones about what you want when you pass away when you're no longer here and that might help to reduce their grief and their suffering it could be defining what you want your legacy to be it could be thinking about what you want people to say when. They're giving your eulogy once you've passed and you've lived your life. And that's our legacies aren't built in a day. Our legacies are built over a lifetime. So it's the small little actions day in, day out, every interaction that's building our legacies. And that was one of the big takeaways that I had from this conversation with Yvonne and from reading her book, uh, Live Your Life to Death. So think about that one one action that you're going to take today to reduce your grief and suffering or the grief and suffering of of your loved ones or someone else. And that also might be just showing up, right? Avant's a big, big advocate of just showing up. Even if you don't know what to say, just be there. That's what's meaningful. That's what's important. Now, I want to ask all of you listeners a favor. I want to ask you to sign up and subscribe to the empowering ability podcast on your smartphone. So whether you have an Apple or an Android phone, you can do this. So if you have an Apple phone, it's just the podcast icon, the purple icon on your phone, click on that and then type in empowering ability in the search, empowering ability in the search. And if you're on Android, any podcast app that you use, it could be Spotify or it could be Podbean or it could be Stitcher, whatever podcast app you're using, just go to your podcast app and type in Empowering Ability and hit subscribe. And new episodes will go directly to your phone. So this helps in terms of me getting you new episodes. Um, And it helps to grow the. It helps to grow empowering abilities. So if you could stop what you're doing and go to your podcast app, type in empowering ability and hit subscribe, that would be incredible. Uh, I also want to remind you that you can subscribe. This is a different kind of subscribe. Subscribe to Empowering Ability by going to the website empoweringability.org and contributing your hard-earned dollars towards the development of new content, new episodes, new blogs, and the new paid content that is coming. You will get access to that by subscribing now. And you can select the level of subscription that you would like to uh, move forward with. So that's totally up to you what you would like to pay. But it's a huge benefit towards um, the development of this work, the continuation of this work. And it's also investment an investment in yourself, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, If you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit, please share it with them. Uh, be a part of the change to think differently about disability. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.